God, we give you glory tonight for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, for the remission of our sins, the sacrifice that he made on a cross 2,000 years ago so that we might know you, so that we might be saved from your wrath. Lord, I pray that we could comprehend even a little of what this means for us tonight. Because our strength is small tonight. We are all children of weakness here. And we're not finding our all in you. So Lord, we, we ask that you would descend, that your spirit would descend upon us. Lord, we pray that we would reflect, that we would remember. We'd remember the cost of the cross tonight. And that there is no salvation from anything or anyone else except for the name of Jesus Christ. What a hope that we have when we say this. We can say it soberly and we can say it with such gratitude and gratefulness. So Lord, I pray that you would unlock those things in our heart tonight that are just resistant against that, that are just tired of this message. Because I know that there are people that are hurting And I know there are people that are lost. And Lord, you're the only one that can come and save us all. And so, Lord, we ask that you would meet us in this place and that you would speak to us through your word tonight. We pray these things in your precious name and all God's people said, amen Amen and amen. All right, go ahead and take take a seat. Well, hey, it's good to have you out here tonight if it's your first time. My name is Ronnie. I'm one of the pastors. Grateful that you're here. If you brought your Bible, you can go ahead and go to John uh, chapter 19. Man, I want to thank the worship team, man. They sounded ridiculous tonight. And by ridiculous, I mean great. So let's... So we tried to dim the lights a little bit here, knowing that we're fighting the, uh, you know, the daylight that's still with us. So uh, we wanted to try to create a little bit of a mood in the warehouse we have our challenges. We're working through it. Um, so, you know, tonight, I, man, I, I just really wanted to uh, lock in to what I would probably call, if I'm being a little more flippant, and if you know me, you know I'm a little more flippant, um, this would be sort of an old school salvation message, all right? Because, um, I, man, I just want us to get down to it tonight, all right? If we had the word Baptist at the end of our church name, this is probably what the message would be like, like every week. But, but we don't, so we're just gonna we're gonna roll into this like that um, because this is where we're at with with the message of Christ. This is where we're at when we think about Good Friday. Is that I think that we I, I think for those of us who've grown up in the church, I think we take it for granted. I think it just kind of washes over us, and and I think we assume certain things. I think we assume the gospel message. I think we get to the gospel and we say, "Man, I've heard that part." And then we just want to roll right past it. And, um, and what's ironic about that is that that central gospel message, that's the message we need to keep hearing. You guys should roll out an amen after I say that one. That's the message that we need to keep hearing. That's the message that is going to do that continuous work in our hearts, right? 
the central message of the gospel. And what, what I hope, and this is for me, let me just speak from my perspective tonight, is, man, I want to feel the weight of the hope of that. And I want to feel the weight of the horror of that. And, man, and I want to feel the weight of the glory of that. When we, when we think about what it is that we're talking about, we're going to be diving into something very specific that Jesus said, three words that Jesus said as he was hanging on the cross at the end of the payment that he was making for our sins. He said these three words, it is finished. And that's what we're going to dive into just very briefly tonight. And by briefly, you guys can, you know, uh, sort of interpret that however you want. But here's what's interesting as I was thinking about this passage this week, and it's this, it's that we dwell in the land of words, don't we? Man, we're just living in a very wordy society and culture. I mean, we're in a culture and a climate where words are literally raining down upon us like broken pinatas, right? Except none of it is remotely as delicious, obviously. But when you combine social media, you take this 24 hours news cycle thing that we got going on, and then you, you add unlimited texting and data plans onto that. I mean, we're literally being hijacked and attacked by words, right? Many of which obviously right now are, are politically charged. I mean, things are so wordy right now that we, we just write most of them off, no pun. I mean, honestly, we really do. I mean, I mean, look, you guys, you guys all have your phones right now. Everybody has their phones. I mean, go on Facebook or Twitter right now. Try to find something that you actually take serious. I mean, I'm literally a pastor right now telling you, grab your phone and go on Twitter in the middle of my sermon. But the irony is, is that even in an age of flippancy and dismissal, you know, we just read stuff and we just toss it, words end up being a little more uh, important, don't they? They have a little bit more of an impact for us. I mean, words can cause fear for us, can't they? And they cause fear. One of the reasons why they cause fear is because we believe they have the power to affect or change our lifestyle. All right? But the words of Jesus, which we're going to be looking into tonight, the words of Jesus speak to our life, right? We're going to look at three words, again, like I said earlier, that were spoken as a declaration of life so that we might live without the condemnation we face if we don't believe them. Because the words you fear the most may affect your lifestyle. They might. They might affect your lifestyle and your livelihood. But the words of Jesus deal with your life. And those are the words that have to be dealt with. Again, I mean, hear what I'm saying here. I didn't say lifestyle. I didn't say livelihood. People promote lifestyle and livelihood with their words. Jesus doesn't promote anything. Jesus provides. And he doesn't provide lifestyle. He provides life. So I want us to dig into that because here are the words he spoke while hanging on a cross. If you have your Bible, John 19, pick up on verse 28, and it says this. After this, we're at the death of Jesus right now. He's hanging on the cross, the passion of Christ, everything he's been through, the road that's led to the cross, it's culminating in this. This is what happens. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill the scripture. I thirst. 
I thirst. Verse 29, a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and they held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, something is finished, right? Think about this word finished. Something is finished when nothing else needs to be added or subtracted to it to be complete. And here's what should be curious to us when we consider what Jesus meant when he uses the word finished. After Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, if you guys remember that in the book of Genesis, by eating the fruit that they were convinced would level the playing field between them and God, God could have pronounced final judgment on them, called in his boy, Michael the archangel, to do some exterminating, all right, and proclaimed the words right in that moment, it is finished. Justice would have been served because God is just for punishing those who break his law. It's not our law. We didn't come up with that. We are the creation. He is the creator. He gets to decide these things. Instead, though, instead of saying it is finished, right in that particular moment, God hatches a plan in Genesis chapter 3 to not defeat humans, but to defeat death and make all things new again, to restore what Adam and Eve lost after they satisfied their hankering for whatever that fruit was, chocolate covered strawberries or whatever it was. We're not really told. So what did it mean? What did it mean when Jesus now thousands of years later declares it is finished? What does the word finished mean? So I just want to take a few minutes and unpack what finished means. Number one, finished means the word of God was fulfilled. The word of God was fulfilled. Matthew chapter 5, it says this. Do not think, this is Jesus talking, that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. He's saying all those Old Testament laws that I'd given the children of Israel. Don't think that I came to get rid of that. But he said, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, to be the fulfillment of all of those laws where people could not live up to the holy demands of perfection that God puts out on all of us. And then he says this, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot. It's like period question mark will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So, you know, for us, man, our words are different than God's, aren't they? I mean, our words are substantially different because they absolutely have no guarantee of coming true. Your words, my words. There's no guarantee that what I say to you is going to come true and vice versa. We all bend the truth. None of us have perfect follow through. I mean, think of an instance in your life when you said you were going to do something and you didn't do it. I mean, something better be coming to your mind right now, right? Like, I got like nine things right now, like, lodged in there. The truth is that we're all liars. How dare you, Ronnie? I've never lied a day in my life. My word is like oak. I don't know why I have that voice when I'm mimicking somebody. I mean, if you believe that, then you just lied to yourself about never lying. You liar. Nope. 
I'm telling you, my word is like oak. Hey, boss, people chop oak and use it for bonfires. Like, remember that when we start talking about word-like oak kind of lines, all right? Our words are weak at best. And if you don't believe me, it's because my words are weak at best. All right, you guys get where I'm going with this. Here's the interesting thing about us sitting here contemplating, reflecting on Good Friday. Some of us, some of you want Good Friday to mean that you did your good duty. You're here. Man, you're giving Jesus mad props for the crucifixion tonight. That's what's going on. You're enduring, for some of you, another agonizing church service to justify your guilt. But what's happening is that you're missing the weight and the glory of what it is that we're talking about and celebrating. I mean, this is not, I have a dream This is not the Gettysburg Address. This is the anguish of the world being dropped like an anvil on Jesus. This is God the Father crushing the Son for the penalty of your sin. Jesus made an alarming statement when he said, Everything spoken... In the Old Testament law and prophets would be fulfilled and accomplished on the cross. And the reason it's so unsettling is because when God sent Jesus to die, it also means that we will die if we haven't trusted in the death of Jesus for salvation. Because God said that part too. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. And it's so grim. The wages, the payment, what you've earned for your sin is death. But there's a second part of that verse which says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in who? Christ Jesus our Lord. So what this verse tells us is that there are two grand finales, all right, in our lives. And both of them will be fulfilled. The horror and the hope. Because it is finished means God's word will always be fulfilled. So finished means the word of God was fulfilled when Jesus spoke those words too. Finished means The wrath of God was satisfied. If I asked you the question, why did Jesus die on the cross? What would your answer be? I mean, how would you answer that? Well, Ronnie, you know that John 3.16 verse and all of that and everything. Well, all right. Now, now before I get all Jonathan Edwards on you right now, by Jonathan Edwards, I mean that this is a dude that preached a sermon. He's an American Puritan called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I'm not going to get all crazy on you like that with that. But let me clear the air by saying that, yes, God sent his son from an eternally ferocious love he had for those he would save. But what did that love ultimately satisfy? I mean, what was it? What what did the love take care of? What did God's love through Jesus satisfy? 
I mean, what was it for? Was it because God had a thing for romance novels where the guy always gets the gal in the end? I mean, is that what it was satisfying? Because God just has a thing for happy endings and love? No. Jesus died on the cross to satisfy and save you from the wrath of himself. Make no mistake. Jesus came to save you from God. Who judges all people according to his holy and righteous standard. But you know, because we're sinners, man, we, just, we just minimize these things, don't we? We minimize sin. We make allowances for sin. I mean, God told Adam and Eve, he said this. He was really clear. He said, if you eat the fruit, if you disobey my word, if you rebel, he said the consequences of those actions will be death. I mean, God wasn't being vague with Adam and Eve. Like he wasn't trying to play mind games. He wasn't trying to be tricky and clever with Adam and Eve. He didn't say, you know what, man? There's a lot of good people out there who eat that fruit, but they're trying their hardest not to, and that's what counts. That's not what he said. He didn't say, you know, man, don't sweat it. It's only fruit. It's not like you murdered anyone. Sin was an act of treason that God has never lessened the punishment for. That's the horror of what we're talking about tonight. And yet, what do we see on the other side of that? We see the nature and character of God in addition to his holiness, which is that he was so loving, so honest, and so gracious to Adam and Eve that he warned them of his wrath. He said, in the day you eat of the fruit, you will die. That's a gracious warning. So the question for some of us tonight is, have you heeded that warning? Have you heeded the warning? Has God's wrath on your life been satisfied? Have you repented? Let me say it a little softer. Have you repented and believed the gospel? Have you done that? Or has that been unfinished in your life? Ronnie, I grew up in the church. I've been a member for years. I've served on committees at my old church. I tithe. I've been on mission trips. I feed the poor and the hungry. I used to sing in the choir. And I would hear if you would ever start one. Don't hold your breath, kids. I mean, don't use that language on me, Ronnie. I'm a good person. I've always voted Republican. I was one of the good kids in school. I mean, that's cute. But you haven't answered the question. Has God's wrath on your life been satisfied? What I just described was lifestyle. Have you believed the gospel? Romans 1.18 says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. By the way, that's everybody the minute we were born. And even before that when we were conceived. But then we get this in Romans 3. For there is no distinction 
for all have sinned. So some of you guys that go back to that list I read and you go, yeah, wait, wait a minute. No, no, he says it right here. For there's no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then he says this and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Has the wrath of God been satisfied in your life or have you just been going to church for a long time? Are you a child of God or are you a church member? Because a church member who isn't a child of God is a child of wrath. And that should scare the living bejeebies out of you. If you just experience a sick feeling rising up from your belly. Because if the wrath of God was satisfied by Jesus on the cross and you've not repented to Jesus for his work on the cross and believed and received the good news of the gospel, you are in the other category. And dude, it's getting hardcore on Good Friday tonight for us. Finish means the wrath of God was satisfied. And finally, finish means the Son of God was victorious. I'm going to give us a little preview of Easter right now because I don't want it to be too gloom and doom. Finished means, three, the Son of God was victorious. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law, the Old Testament law that we can't keep. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, this is Paul talking to the church, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What this reminds us of is that the cross is the completion of Christ's perfect obedience to the Father, where death is defeated once and for all. And that's ultimate spiritual eternal death by the way, because all of us are going to experience physical death. The death rate is one per person in the room. The beauty of Christ saying it is finished means God kept his promise in providing a way for us to find forgiveness. God provided a way for our guilt to be relieved. So you can throw all of this away and we're going to sit down somewhere and have a bad cup of coffee together. And the question I'm going to ask is, okay, but what do you do about your guilt? Because brother, you know what? We do the same thing every night. We all lay our head on a pillow, try to go to sleep and wrestle with what's going on inside right here. And nobody gets to help speak into that. But one person. He provided a way for sin to not have the final word over the state of our souls. So as we close, here's, here's a question. Who or what is victorious in your life? 
I mean, you know how sad it is when someone lets you win at something? You guys ever experienced that? Maybe your mom or dad would like, they'd let you win. You'd be playing the game and they let you win to try to boost your ego and teach you a bunch of bad life lessons. Ever happened to any of you guys? That's like the sin in our life. Sin tricks us into believing we're winning. When in reality, it's sin that is declaring victory in our life. Jesus was victorious on the cross. Listen. Jesus was victorious on the cross so that all of the false victories in your life would stop fooling you and failing you. Look at what this passage says to us. Wherever you're at, believers, non-believers, people that are struggling, some of you are crushed right now because something has happened in your life that there is no explanation for. But with Christ's victory on the cross and the way he was crushed and the way the damage that was done to his life, the punitive damage that God inflicted on his son, it means that we have hope. It means that there is now a light for us at the end of the dark tunnels of our souls. I mean, look what this passage is saying. I mean, do you see what this passage, these two verses are saying to us? Jesus became thirsty for us. He said, I thirst. He became thirsty for us so that we might never thirst again. He received the sour wine of judgment that was reserved for us. He gave up his spirit so that we could receive his spirit. Jesus was victorious over death so that in him we might die to our death and be made alive in him. This was the voluntary victory of Jesus. And it's why there's hope. It doesn't matter where you are in your life right now. That's the hope. Jesus is the hope. Jesus isn't selling. Boy, we're getting sold a lot right now, aren't we? We're just in a selly society. I feel like I'm getting sold all the time. Jesus isn't selling. He's serving. Jesus is not selling you anything. He's sacrificing. Jesus said death is finished so that the power of death might not reign victorious in our lives if we believe his word. His word. Salvation begins. And it begins when we believe in the finished work of Jesus on the Christ. Where the horror turns into hope. Where the weight of glory enters our hearts. Because Jesus now exists there. Jesus paid it all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this great hope. It's a hard thing for us to consider. But we're confronted with our sin on Good Friday. Lord, we don't weep for you on Good Friday. We weep for our sin. And we rejoice in the hope that we now have because you have paid it all. 
So, Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts. I pray that you would make this new again to us as we contemplate what you did for us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.